Earlier this month, a festival that was supposed to be a celebration of music in the city of Houston turned deadly. Ten people have died as a result of the injuries they sustained at the Astro World Music Festival. The youngest person was just nine years old. Hundreds of others were injured. There were 50,000 people at the sold-out festival put on by Houston native Travis Scott. Scott is known for being an electrifying performer whose shows can get chaotic and border on dangerous. Here's a clip from the 2019 Netflix doc on Travis Scott. Look, Mom, I can fly. People have been injured at Scott's concerts before, and he's even been charged with inciting a riot at one of his shows. But what happened at the Astroworld Festival is making a lot of people re-examine Travis Scott's cultural appeal and the wider culture around festivals. And of course, inevitably, when a tragedy like this one occurs, people start looking for someone to blame. On the extreme conspiracy theory end of things, there are a number of viral videos and TikToks going around that suggest that the deaths and chaos at Astroworld were the result of a satanic ritual. But most rational people are pointing the finger at Travis Scott's behavior at his concerts and, of course, Live Nation, the entertainment company that managed the event. And both have gotten into trouble before for incidents that have happened at their shows. Just looking at this situation, it could seem very straightforward. Travis Scott, a rapper with a history of encouraging fans to stage dive and generally wild out, created a dangerous situation that resulted in injury and death at his concert. Case closed. And there are so many videos that seem to suggest that the rapper and employees working the show were indifferent to the dangerous situation around them. But when you dig a little deeper, the bigger picture is much more complicated. Welcome to Pop Culture. I'm Bridget Armstrong. Today, a conversation about the Astro World Festival. What happened that day? Who's responsible? And where do we go from here? In the days since Astroworld, there have been dozens of firsthand accounts from people who attended the festival. Many of them sound hellish. People describe being so close to others in the crowd that they couldn't move, escape, or even breathe. We know that 11 people went into cardiac arrest, including some of the people who died. And others were trampled in the chaos and melee. When we started thinking about this story, I knew I wanted to talk to someone who was there. So I called up Houston Chronicle music critic Joey Guerra. He was there covering the show. And he spoke to our news show, Skim This, last week. And now that we know more details about the show and what happened, I wanted to talk to him about how he's processing all of this. So I started by asking him about his own experience at Astroworld. And I was actually surprised by his answer. Now, this is not to downplay the tragedy, the injuries, or the loss of life, but it does put into perspective how massive an event this was. Joey got there around 2.30 in the afternoon, and he says everything seemed fine. Joey is still a little COVID hesitant, so he hung at the back of the crowd for most of Travis Scott's set. But he said, other than a few ambulances, nothing was really out of the ordinary. It just felt like what it usually feels like at a Travis Scott show. You know, very high energy. He has a very unique 
kind of exchange of energy with the crowd, you know? As much as he's amping them up, they're amping him up. So it felt like that again, again, not in a negative way at all. And I did see right when he started, I saw an emergency vehicle kind of go right by where I was standing. But I didn't think much because in a festival setting, you see people getting injured. They take people out for anything from dehydration to exhaustion. So he continued performing. I never saw anyone that looked like they were in need of any serious medical attention, at least from where I was. You know, I was closer to the back and the crowd kind of dissipated at that point. And you were able where I was, you were able to move. It felt just like a normal vibe. And he did his last song and I left. I mean, I left like right before the song ended because I was trying to get ahead of the crowd. Right. And there was also a good number of people leaving, but I was able to walk, got out. There were cops outside, but they didn't seem to be occupied by anything. They were just kind of watching the crowd. The streets were blocked off. I could see police cars with sirens at the ends. But again, that venue hosts tons of big events. And anytime they do, the street is blocked off. You see cops. So it didn't feel unusual to me. It wasn't until I got home, I got a text from my sister-in-law. And it was late. It was like 1.30 in the morning. And she said, are you home? And I actually texted back, are you okay? Because I had no clue. I mean, I had no clue. And then she just said, well, we're just hearing things about the concert. So I started looking on social media. That is the first time I saw any of it. And I was just in disbelief. So Travis Scott is like known for being a great performer and the atmosphere that he creates at his shows. And Joey, you've seen him like eight times. For someone who's never been to a Travis Scott concert, can you describe what it's like? I've been to all three Astroworld festivals. I've seen him at a venue in town that holds maybe like 3,000 people. I've seen him at like the 16,000 seater. So I've seen him lots of times. And I think what they're now calling rage culture, you know, because he refers to his fans as ragers. It's a signature of his live show. And it's really difficult to describe that, I think, and make somebody who's never seen him understand. Because I honestly feel like I can't think of another performer that has that type of energy. And when I say that, like, I've said that in my reviews multiple times, I was saying it as a positive thing, you know, like, to me, it was like this kind of crazy, unique experience that even if you're not in the middle of those mosh pits or right up at the front, you know, you still feel that energy, even if you're sitting down watching from somewhere else, you know, it's like the whole place kind of lights up when he comes on stage. And the thing that strikes me when I think about it now is watching the Netflix documentary. And that documentary really captures what it's like to be at one of his concerts. In this scene, you see a montage of clips of Travis Scott performing in front of huge crowds of people. And the crowd is rocking. People are crowd surfing. You see Travis dab off the stage into the crowd. There are these huge mosh pits. There are fans climbing poles and then jumping off into the crowd. And even though everyone looks like they're having a really good time, it also looks completely out of control. But then you also see these clips of Travis Scott stopping his show to give a fan who fainted some room to get out of the crowd. Like the first 10 minutes, 
almost feels like it's coming from the Astro World Festival. It's so weird. I mean, they're using it as a positive thing, you know, to kind of say this is the experience these kids have. You see kids getting injured and they're talking about, you know, what happened. There's a guy on crutches. They wear it like a badge of honor. For me, I never felt like in danger when I've been at any show ever, really. I mean, like really, truly in danger. I have been at shows where I felt the crowd was too big and it was too dark and what if something happened, you know, but all of Travis's shows seem to really be built on this kind of this balance of euphoria and pent up energy and yeah, some aggression, but when he was on stage, it never felt like it was coming from a negative space for him. You know, it felt like an expression for these kids. I think an expression of all this pent up energy and maybe frustration and things they have. I mean, a lot of his fan base is guys, guys that are 16 to 21 years old who stand in merch lines for three hours to get a t-shirt. And they say things like he saved my life and he gave me a sense of community and I think that's why also these shows have that type of energy because they feel so connected to him. And like when you go to Astroworld, like I was talking about this with my friend there, the crowd, how diverse it was. I mean, I saw Asian guys, white, Mexican, black, like it's, it's so diverse at a Travis show. You know, you can't really say his audience is just this or just that. It's really not. And that's always another thing that has struck me. He really seems to cross all sorts of borders and things when it comes to his fan base. But yeah, I mean, that energy has always been a hallmark of his shows, but I've never really seen it in the past, at least, as something that I perceived as negative. Why are Travis Scott's fans so drawn to him? What's his appeal? Yeah, I mean, I think his fan base tends to be, by and large, very young, you know, teens to early 20s. I mean, I saw a lot of kids there at Astroworld, like I have in the past, that were very obviously with a mom or a dad, like they were there with a parent. I've talked to parents that were there with their kids who were 14, 15, who said this was their first concert, so they went with them. And it is largely male. I mean, he has such a strong connection with these guys that I feel like I've not really seen that before with anybody. I mean, I keep trying to think of a comparison and the only thing I can really think of is the way a crowd is with like a boy band or a K-pop group, you know? To me, it's that type of devotion, that type of energy. The way he interacts with this crowd, he's one of the only artists that when he comes in, he can vibe with every single person that's in the crowd. He knows what the kids like and he knows how to make the kids feel part of what he's doing. First, like, I'll come to next to you. Like, you're going to make it big one day. <laughs> Look where he is now. When you're that age, I think there's so many things going on in your head. You feel excited one minute, depressed the next. You feel like an outsider. You feel like people don't understand you, like you don't belong. And I think for them, he really represents somebody who understands that, who possibly went through that, you know? So Travis, throughout his career, has played with this line between, like, fan interaction and hyping up his fans and then inciting actual violence and dangerous behavior from fans. He's been charged with inciting a riot before. What are some of the other incidents he's dealt with when it comes to his behavior at concerts? He's been arrested before for 
incidents where he's riled up the crowd too much. You know, Lollapalooza, I think he was only on stage for five minutes or something and they canceled it. So I, I think it is a balance, you know, that energy level and that type of performer and that exchange between him and the crowd. It's a very delicate balance. So it can very easily teeter the wrong way, you know? I mean, when I've seen him, you know, there have been instances where I was reading back some of my reviews and I didn't even remember some of these things. But then once I read it, you know, like he did a show at a like a 3000 seater here. It was a surprise show in Houston when Astroworld first came out and the fans broke the barricades at the front of the stage. And then when he did a big outdoor festival, another one here, he got kind of into it with a security guard because he was going to let a fan finish a rap for him. So he handed the fan the microphone. I guess the security guard didn't realize, so the security guard took it from him. And Travis just, like, went off. Like, don't you ever in your life do that to one of my fans, you know? And he made them actually remove the security guard. So it's really tough to see what happened now and then think back on these moments where you're like, maybe somebody should have noticed something or maybe... It could have been something as simple as maybe somebody just told him to chill a little bit. You know, it's very easy to say, well, you should have known this all along. But I don't think anyone goes into a show expecting something like this to happen. Inevitably, with a tragedy like this one, people start looking for someone to blame. Of course, Travis Scott and Live Nation are the obvious targets. But there's also been conversation about the larger culture around Travis Scott that feels to me just a little weird. Kind of implying that like his behavior could be attributed to hip hop culture or that hip hop culture has gotten too violent or out of control or even like hip hop's adoption of punk rock is too out of control. And I'm wondering as someone who covers all of this and was at the show, what you think about all of that? I think it is very easy to demonize a black performer right now in hip hop because it feels like a lot of people were waiting to do this, you know? Like, I see this video making the rounds of, here are performers that stopped their shows to, to make sure a crowd was okay. And it's like Adele, Harry Styles, Foo Fighters, Nirvana, all mostly white artists, you know? But at the same time, I was there at the Travis show. He stopped it like four times to make sure people were okay. We need somebody to help him. Somebody passed out right here. Somebody passed out right here. Hold on, don't touch him, don't touch him. Everybody just back up. He really did stop the show. I mean, and he would stop until somebody came and helped that person. It wasn't just pointing people out and then continue singing. It was like, hey, somebody come help them. He's done it at other shows in the past that I've seen. So this is not something new for him. But I do think if we're talking about comparisons to punk and, you know, even some like maybe metal and rock, you know, we know that there have been concerts that have ended in tragedies very similar to this, you know, so I don't think it's fair to really single this one out as something that's never happened before. That's why I specifically brought up that example of that viral video, because it frustrated me the first time I saw it. And I keep seeing people share it. And I keep seeing sites do stories about, hey, pay attention, Travis Scott, this is how you control an audience. And by and large, every time I've seen him, he has controlled the audience. You know, there's I've never been at a show where something like this has happened. So it really does feel unfair. And it feels like, you know, it's playing into racist tropes and, you know, things that 
it's something people I think are using to prove a point. Like, see, I told you, I told you this was, you know, this was the case of this or that. There were so many things that happened, I think, that led to this happening. There's fault all over the place, you know, from the top to the very bottom. I mean, of course, Travis holds some responsibility, but I think so does the promoter. So does the organizer. So does security. I mean, there's so many people and things involved when an event is this big that it's impossible to just blame one person, but he's the face of it. So it's very easy to just use him as the person to blame. I asked Joey if he thinks this will be the end of Travis Scott's career. And he told me that while he thinks that is probably the least important aspect of the tragedy, it does tell us a lot about where we are as a culture. Because if you look at the immediate fallout from this, other than the social media backlash, it doesn't really seem like Travis Scott's facing a lot of consequences. I think a lot of that is up to the fans, and it's going to be up to the people that I think were already kind of writing with him and how they feel. I mean, I will say that two or three days after I was looking at iTunes and his two new songs were still in the hip hop rap top 10 and the Astroworld album was in the hip hop rap top 10. And that came out three years ago. And then I was doing research and I looked on eBay and people were listing merch from this festival and the shirts were going for like two or three times their value. So... I don't want to say people forget, but I think as this kind of cycles through the news, people who maybe weren't there, I don't know how much it will affect them as opposed to, you know, people who were at the show, even at the festival on the grounds, you know, it, it's tough because, you know, we've seen lots of celebrities and artists and singers, performers in particular, go through crisis events and have gotten through. So I don't know. That's to me like one of the, not the most important by far, but that's a tough question. It may not be clear what the long-term impact could be for Travis Scott or our attitudes towards concerts and festivals, but it is apparent that Travis Scott and Live Nation will have to take some legal responsibility. After the break, we'll talk about what that could mean. Now, we've talked about who's at fault for what happened at Astroworld morally and socially, but what about legally? Travis Scott hasn't taken any public responsibility for what happened. He did release one of the worst Please Don't Cancel Me apology videos that I think I've ever seen. I just want to send out prayers to the, to the ones that was lost last night. We're actually working right now to identify the families so we can help assist them through this tough time. You know, my fans, my fans, like, my fans really mean the world to me, and I always just really want to leave them with a positive experience. But that hasn't stopped the lawsuits from piling up. Today, more than 100 lawsuits have been filed against Travis Scott, Live Nation, and others, including Drake, who briefly performed with Travis Scott at the festival. But it seems the real target is Live Nation. Live Nation, as a $4 billion company, is really the deep pocket that the lawyers will be focusing their attention on. Because what does it serve you to sue a company that can't necessarily pay out the settlement you need? J. Christopher Hamilton is an entertainment attorney and professor at Syracuse University. He says that while several people might have been included on the lawsuits, it's really just a calculation to get more money when we see artists like Drake named in these suits. Part of the strategy is name anyone and everyone that could possibly be responsible and use the lawsuit as leverage points in negotiating settlements and exerting pressure 
Even though Live Nation is the event company responsible for Astroworld, it is Travis Scott's event, and he's the public face that's being blamed. But Jay Christopher explained to me that when it comes to paying out these lawsuits, if it gets to that, Travis Scott probably won't be the person writing the checks. Let's say someone sues Travis Scott for $100 million and wins. Even though Travis Scott is by no means broke, you multiply that $100 million by a few people and his money doesn't seem as long. And if that were to happen, Travis Scott could then sue Live Nation in a counterclaim to get them to pay for his legal expenses. But it will all come down to determining whether Scott's behavior contributed to the chaos, injury, and loss of life. What I can say is this, in my estimation, obviously an opinion, he really laid out a nice roadmap for liability here. And I'll point out what I mean in a moment. You know, he has a history, obviously, of quote unquote, encouraging this kind of ruxious behavior, this kind of belligerent behavior when it comes to tweeting about sneaking into my, his concerts, telling his fans in one of the concerts, beat another guy up who stole one of his sneakers, encouraging fans to jump from balconies. I mean, it's not even like this is hyperbole, right? Like he's literally been arrested for inciting riots. He's literally been on probation for these acts. So it's not a reach, you know what I mean? To say, well, wait a minute, he has a history of behavior of inciting people to do violent, unhealthy, unwise, hazardous things. So it's not a reach to say, hey, he did it again here. Obviously the videotape and the audio will, will determine that. So that's the basis for a claim. But proving that anyone in particular is at direct fault is a little more complicated. This is the framework to analyze each party's culpability in what happened, whether it's Live Nation, whether it's the venue, whether it's Travis Scott, whether it's the promoter, whatever. The question is, is there negligence? And the, the analysis of determining negligence is gonna be, is there a duty of care from one party to another? Duty of care is a legal term that basically means an expectation that you'll be responsible with someone's life when you're doing something that might cause them harm. So if you drive in my car, and we're you know, riding down the street, I have a duty of care to make sure you're not exposed to any dangerous behavior, right? Me driving crazy, right? Is there a duty, duty of care? Is there a breach of that duty? Meaning, did I then do something while we were driving that breached the duty to take care of you, to make sure you're not hurt? Yeah, I did it. I breached the duty when I drove 200 miles per hour when speed limit was 65, right? Was it foreseeable that my breach of that duty would then result in your injury, right? Well, if I'm driving 200 miles per hour, it is foreseeable if by a reasonable person to say, I can likely have an accident at that speed going beyond that speed limit. So when we hit the tree and the result, it resulted in you breaking your collarbone or your leg, there's the injury, there's a foreseeability, there's the causation, my behavior, there is a negligence claim, right? And a judge or jury will apply that idea to Travis Scott in this case. So- it's really going to hinge, I think, on this idea of he knows and people around him know how he carries on his concerts. And he knows by virtue of the lawsuits that have come against him that he's been, people have been hurt in his concerts, whether they've passed out, whether they, one, I think one gentleman is suing him for being partially paralyzed. So again, I think the foreseeability issue can be relatively easily made. And then the question becomes was there injury? Clearly it was injury. And then did he actively contribute to that injury happening. And then the question is, well, yeah, if you're telling people to 
do crazy things in this in this event that's at capacity and there's very limited space to move and people are passing out and you're seeing people pass out. You've known you've had accidents in the past. You know the the, the, the security and paramedics don't have a control over it. I think you're setting yourself up to be responsible for the liability and the injuries that occurred in that event. Now, is it likely that he will be held responsible? You know, I kind of think that his lawyers will probably figure out a way to diminish his culpability in this. And I think it'll probably do some kind of settlement. And I think Live Nation or, or one of the bigger companies will be on the hook. But don't get me wrong. Again, if the payouts don't show up like they're supposed to, best believe they'll go after Travis. These are the civil lawsuits we're talking about here. But because people died and because so many were injured, some are wondering if this could turn criminal and if Travis Scott or anyone else could be charged with an actual crime. Obviously, the investigation is still underway. So I think a lot more fact need to be revealed in order to really make that assessment. But it's a much higher standard to hold them criminally liable. And the standard of analysis, as you may or may not be aware, is this idea of there being beyond reasonable doubt of his culpability, right? So again, it's an intent element. I think without more information and facts, it's going to be hard to make an assessment of his criminal culpability. However, once the fact, once the investigation is complete, I promise you, if there is a legal basis for a criminal case, people will bring that as a way to augment their civil cases. Liability doesn't just end with Live Nation and Travis Scott. The city of Houston and Harris County, where Houston is located, could also be held responsible. Astroworld brings in a lot of money and tourism to Houston. The festival is named after a popular amusement park that used to be in the city. So it's something that the city not only approved of, they celebrated. The city had to issue the permit to even have this 50,000-person event, and Harris County owns the park where it was held. And as we've learned, Travis Scott's reputation for wild shows precedes him. So that begs the question, why wasn't the city better prepared for what could go wrong at this event? Remember that term, duty of care? Well, Jay Christopher says it applies to cities and municipalities too. The city of Houston had a duty of care because they owned the venue. So if you're a business invitee, meaning I have a business venue and I'm inviting you to to come onto the premises of my business venue as a business invitee, then I owe you a duty of care, right? But establishing duty of care is just the first step to proving the city's culpability. A couple of hurdles will be, number one, did the city have a duty? Obviously they did. Did the city uh, breach that duty? That'll be determined. Is the city able to avail itself of the sovereign immunity protection? Sovereign immunity is a legal term that dates back to Britain and the idea that the king is always right. It basically means you can't sue the city unless the city gives you the permission to do so. Meaning that if Houston has sovereign immunity, but it's found that the city's negligence contributed to the injuries and deaths at Astroworld, they would have to waive their right to sovereign immunity. But Jay Christopher doesn't think that would be a problem, because basically it wouldn't be a good look if the city was actually found responsible, but refused to compensate people for their pain. I have to imagine that wouldn't be an issue because of how the public outcry and the potential political fallout from this. I can't see the city running away from responsibility if they were to consider to be responsible. So that covers who could be sued. 
But what about who can do the suing? I asked Jay Christopher if anyone in attendance could potentially sue, even if they weren't physically hurt. When it comes to lawsuits, you don't have to prove you're going to win. You just have to have a viable claim of injury. So if you weren't, you know, trampled on, but you watched somebody be trampled on, that could be emotionally stressful. If you didn't watch, but you knew it was happening 20 feet from you, that could be very disturbing. Or just the mania and chaos of it all. Like, so there's so many levels of potential emotional harm. And remember, we're dealing with kids, literally children, right? So it's different, you know, when you're dealing with an adult, but children in their teens, some even younger than that, obviously, in some of the reporting, which is why these lawsuits are going to continue to stack up, stack up, and stack up till we get in hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. Of course, this isn't the first time a tragedy like this has happened at a huge event. 11 people died at a The Who concert in 1979 after a crowd surge. And nine people died at a Pearl Jam music festival in 2000. Crowd surge surging is very, very common. However, there isn't any like unified statute on how these issues should be litigated. Like meaning a consistent law throughout the country that if there's a crowd surge event, someone gets hurt, this is what happens. But there's been numerous cases of crowd surging since where people have gotten hurt. One in particular with Gwen Stefani. Suing singer Gwen Stefani. Yeah, the woman says her leg was broken during a concert by Gwen Stefani last year at the PNC Music Pavilion, and she says it's all Stefani's fault. The case was Strickland v. Stefani. You know, she's at her concert and she's trying to get people engaged. Hey, if you want to get closer, why don't you move down closer to the stage? where there was room, but there were a few people in that area. When the crowd began to move forward to the stage, there were a handful of people that ended up getting pushed around in the process and getting hurt, right? And therein lies, you know, the basis for a negligence claim. Gwen Stefani and, ironically, Live Nation were both sued. A judge determined that Stefani could potentially be held liable for the incident, but the parties eventually dropped the case. It's not just artists who've had to deal with lawsuits. There's precedent for cities to be held accountable, too. New York City was sued for a crowd surge that happened at a Diana Ross concert in Central Park in 1983. Again, a lot of people were at the event, packed in like sardines, and of course, people are excited. A stampede begins to, to happen, right? Because people are wanting to get to the stage. And, you know, it was determined that the city that was responsible for placing the event could have done more to prevent what happened, knowing the size of the crowd, the lack of security measures, the lack of organization, and the fact that people would likely get hurt in the process, right? So there's a myriad of case law around these um, situations where people are getting injured at these concerts. There are a lot of lessons to be learned from World and other events that have ended in tragedy. No one goes to a concert or sends their teenager to a show and expects their life to be in danger. But as we re-enter the world and start to interact with each other again after being isolated for so long during the pandemic, I'm worried that our excitement will be taken advantage of by people who might not have our safety in mind. And as a person who has to attend concerts and festivals to do his job, it's something that Joey Guerra is also thinking about. This was the first show they've been to in ages, much less big, huge festival like this. There was so much excitement because it was the first big event in a long time because, especially for Houston and Texas, it was centered around things we knew and loved, you know, because we didn't get Astroworld last year. So this is the first time it's been back in two years. 
I think it's a mix of things that contributed to the mood and the atmosphere and everything we kind of saw that day. Like any sort of conversation that, that I have or other people have that have different perspectives about being there is in no way to minimize what happened. I mean, first and foremost, you know, these people died. So many people were injured. I mean, I've personally interviewed people for stories and just heard horrible things, you know, and it, it hurts my heart. And I can't imagine what it feels like for them to have gone through this. And, you know, I think that's first and foremost in this conversation is we need to figure out how to not have those things happen again, because, you know, this should have never happened. It, it just should have never happened. I don't know where the breakdown was specifically, but I think there were multiple places along the way to this festival that maybe things weren't done or communicated clearly or, you know, put into place that should have been. But yeah, I think I just, I just hope that people understand that for me, for everyone, you know, the actual tragedy in and of itself is the most important thing. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show, and I work with a very talented team on this podcast. The show's producer is Alicia Key. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. Our director of audio is Graylin Brashear. Big thanks to Joey Guerra and Jay Christopher Hamilton for talking to us this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. And we'll see you back here next week.